This episode of the Trek Geeks podcast is brought to you by the Trek Geek Shop. Now you can help support our show and get yourself some cool Star Trek gear at the same time. Check out our line of t-shirts, mugs, hats, and other items for your inner Trek geek at shop.trekgeeks.com. This is Todd Haberkorn, Mr. Spock on Star Trek Continues, and you're listening to the Trek Geeks Podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. Let's get ready to podcast! Biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. Welcome, one and all, to the Trek Geeks Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith, and joining me every single episode. You know, with a week to go now before Star Trek Las Vegas, I can barely put up with him at this point. I'm, imagine how I'm going to feel rooming with him at the Rio for a week. I'm, I'm going to want to pull my hair out and possibly pop my own eardrums. More importantly, I'm not going to let him set the alarm clock. He's my co-host, Dan Davidson, and buddy, we're almost there. You're never going to let me live that down, kind of like you drop at my Enterprise. Yep. <laughs> it's good to be here. Yeah, a week to go, man. You're going to have to deal with me 24-7 because we're not going to sleep ever, for one thing, the whole time. <laughs> well, I, don't know, I don't know about you, but I'm old. I'm going to need some sleep. <laughs> it's going to be It's going to be kind of tiring, I think. A week to go. Episode 69 and Star Trek Beyond. What? Whoa. I, um, I'm amazed that we actually found time to record an episode this week with <laughs> all the Star Trek happening. It has been a busy Star Trek week. It has been a fun Star Trek week. It's been one of those weeks that you we've we've been looking forward to. And now that it's happened and all the good stuff that's happened, you kind of can't believe it, but can. It's awesome. Love it. I agree with you 100%. I, uh, we've got so much to talk about today. We've got a little bit of news, but mainly we're going to talk about the main event this weekend, Dan. Yeah, we are going to talk about the release, finally, of Star Trek Beyond. It hit theaters uh, in wide release on Friday. We actually got to see it in uh, IMAX 3D on Thursday down in your neck of the woods. You saw it, and I saw it up here in Maine. Um, it has been open for the first full weekend. Uh, and we are going to talk about it. Uh, we are so excited that it's finally here. And uh, I think it's safe to say, Bill, that we should probably throw out a little spoiler alert. A little? A little bit. We might uh, give away a couple of things. This entire episode is one giant spoiler alert. Let's not kid ourselves or anybody else. If you don't want to know any more, stop now Go see Star Trek Beyond, and then come back and listen to our spoiler-tastic discussion. I agree. Good idea. 
Another good idea, Dan, is if you tell the folks at home how they can send us their thoughts on Star Trek Beyond. Yeah, we want to hear everybody's opinion because uh, um, it is it is catching on like wildfire out there. So uh, on Twitter, Facebook, and Skype, our handle is Trek Geeks. You can also send us an email at trekgeeks at starfleet.com, or you can give us a call at 508-784-1701. If you have a tablet or a uh, cell phone with internet access, you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks and leave us a voice ma- uh, message that way as well. Uh, also, as always, the official Facebook group Camp Kittimer is available for you to join. Lots of great discussion out there this weekend, especially with Star Trek Beyond. Uh, we do have a spoiler warning out there right now, so no spoilers there. Um, if you join Camp Kittimer, you're going to get early access to the Trek Geeks podcast. So go ahead over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer, and we will let you right in. And... Uh, Here it comes. Just please remember that any comments or messages that you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. And with that, I'm going to send it back to the studio and Bill Smith. Thank you, Dan Davidson. Great job, buddy. Great job. Wow. Uh, Thank you, I I think. Uh, We'll talk more about him in a bit. We do want to remind folks that uh, new people are discovering the podcast all the time, and that makes you and me incredibly happy, Dan, uh, to subscribe to Trek Geeks on your iPhone or iPod or other iOS device. Head on over to itunes.trekgeeks.com. And if you happen to be an Android device user like my co-host and myself, you can head on over to googleplay.trekgeeks.com. Dan, it's time for the news from treknews.net. I'm going to do that every week now. It's cool. (laughs) Uh, One of these days, you're going to wind up doing actual Morse code, and I'm going to have no idea what you're saying. You're going to be be sending all all kinds of subliminal messages to our audience. It's going to be, get me out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Dan, there's really only one news story worth talking about this week, and it's the announcement out of San Diego Comic-Con this past weekend. We have a new series title for Star Trek All Access, and we have a brand new ship. We do, and it is... uh it's exciting. We knew that something was going to be coming out of San Diego Comic-Con, but we didn't know what. We are so thrilled that we now have Star Trek Discovery to look forward to. Uh, in January of 2017, that announcement came uh, yesterday, I believe, uh, as we record today. Um, a little teaser trailer was uh, was shown of a starship called the USS Discovery, NCC one zero three one launches in that teaser trailer. Uh, so we have a name, we have a ship. We also have a universe because it was announced that this will be set in the prime universe. One of the major things we don't have yet though, Bill is a time frame, which is interesting. It really is. And there's a lot of discussion going on with that regard. Um, I, I have my own theory. I'm sure you have yours. Uh, do you want me to go first? Sure. Go right ahead, man. Given the design of the Discovery, it kind of looks like the uh, the abandoned um, uh, Planet of the Titans Enterprise that eventually morphed into Star Trek Phase 2. I um, 
I, I, I think that it could be post TOS and pre Star Trek, the motion picture, but that's just me. I agree. I agree with you. Uh, I'm hoping it's something a little bit different just by the way the ship looked. I agree that it could be uh, that time frame. There were some aspects of it that made me think that it could be post Voyager a little bit. It's a little hard to, a little hard to tell. There are some people who think that the registry number is a clue and it must be pre-TOS because the registry number is 1031. I have no idea. I mean, I don't think there's anything that says that registry numbers had to go in sequential series, you know, so like the 1100s and the 1200s. You know, they could have just picked a number they didn't use before or maybe it's got some special meaning. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see as the developments uh, continue to come out uh, over the next several months. Uh, One of the things that I found interesting is when this uh, teaser trailer was released, it is a little bit CGI-ish, I guess is the best way to describe it. But it's also like like an alpha draft, so to speak, I guess is the best way to describe it. It's going to be tweaked. There's going to be a lot more changes coming down the road. But for what they were able to provide us, I thought it was really cool. I really loved it when the spotlights shone on the saucer section to see the registry number of the discovery. I thought that was very cool. Um, I I did too. Uh, I think also important to note that Heather Caden, one of the executive producers and talking to uh, Trek movie said that, you know, this was by no means a a finished version of CGI and it may not be the finished version of the discovery by the time it actually airs. And I found that very interesting. I found it very interesting as well. Uh, One of the things that I liked about the ship when they showed the scene of it clearing that asteroid space dock, whatever it was, and you were seeing it from underneath. The the secondary hull kind of reminded me of a Delta Shield a little bit. I can see where you'd say that. I've heard some people say that it kind of mimics a, uh, a Klingon D7 flipped yep. upside down. Mm-hmm. And I, okay, I, I just, I think perhaps those people haven't seen the original Ralph McQuarrie artwork, perhaps. Um, you know, because the, the asteroid base is part of that, too. Right. Right. So. Well, it'll be certainly interesting to see what happens over the course of the next several months. I'm I'm pretty much going to uh, say I'm 100, 99% sure that they're going to have more information that they're going to be revealing in just a week and a half's time uh, out in Vegas. I can't imagine they're not going to have something to tell us while we're out there at the Star Trek 50th anniversary event. I sure hope so. I mean, I get why they dump a whole lot of info at, at San Diego, but... Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people go there, but, you know, I, I want them to start dumping this info at Star Trek conventions right. where there are a high concentration of Star Trek, you know, fans. I agree. I agree. I found it also very interesting that the um, acronym, I guess, is that the word, is going to be DSC uh, for this series. Um, I uh, got a lot of praise for Mr. Uh, VP himself, Mr. Van Sitters, for actually correcting people, you and I as well, because we always thought that Voyager was VOY, and that's not actually the case. It's VGR, which makes me think of V'ger from Star Trek, the motion picture, but that's okay. Which is why I never use VGR. Yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm still going to use VOY. I'm sorry, John. I'm sorry. Uh, John, I'm I'm doing whatever you tell me, so that's all him. That would be a first. <laughs> Let's just disabuse people of that notion right now. Oh, wow. 
<laughs> no, I am uh, in all seriousness. I love that the um, I loved the Delta. I like the Delta Shield that they use in this teaser trailer, which they used a month or two ago when they had the very first glimpse of what was coming. I like that split down the Delta. I, I got to wonder if there's going to be anything um, as to what that means, if there is going to be any meaning to it at all. But I thought it looked pretty cool. Uh, cool. I'm really looking forward to what's going to be coming down the road, and I'm also very happy that the um, production team now has their own Twitter handle uh, for the show. I thought that was very uh, exciting as well. I think that the the Delta is interesting because it's clearly fractured and broken into two halves. Exactly. Or at least two pieces, not halves. But um, it, it makes me wonder if there is some kind of fracture within Starfleet itself. Mm-hmm. Who knows? We will find out in uh, how many months is it now? Let's see, July. About six months. Six months ago. Which, that's right. They needed to wait six months after Beyond opened before they started the series. So six months to go. It will be very interesting to see, of course, premiering on CBS television and then all episodes then coming on a weekly basis on CBS All Access. Dan, speaking of waiting a long time for things, I feel like we've been waiting years to talk about Star Trek Beyond, and now we finally can. Thursday night was pretty exciting, wasn't it? I, I felt like a kid at Christmas time. I really did. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it, it's funny because with movies, you have to wait a couple of years or a few years in between each, each one. I don't remember the excitement. Um, for past movies that I had for this one. This one, maybe it's because it's the 50th anniversary. I, I don't know. But uh, I'll tell you what, Thursday during the day went by excruciatingly slow for me, waiting for that 7 o'clock uh, start time. Oh, it was painful. I was, you know, I didn't work that day, and it, the day just clicked by very, very slowly. I watched the first two movies. I figured, yeah, I'll take up a good chunk of the day with this. Yeah, I was done by 11 a.m. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's really exciting when something like this happens. And uh, I got to the theater, and there were a lot of there were already a lot of people in line. It was it was busy. There was a lot of excitement. Um, I actually got a couple compliments for my Trek Geek shirt. So maybe we have a couple new listeners this week. I don't know, but uh, what a fun ride! It was it was a great great movie. We're going to get into details about it, but uh, uh, it was it was everything I had hoped it would be. Before we press on with details, let me ask you about your experience attending in Maine where you went. Was the theater very full? It was not sold out, but it was very full. There's a quite a long hallway from the IMAX door entrance to where you actually um, get into the into the corridor. It's quite a long corridor. That was full all the way to the entrance and then wrapped down around the wall back all the way down the other side of the wall. Um, it was, I would say it was more than three quarters full for the actual film. Um, and I don't know if I attribute that just to the fact that it was an earlier film because when we got out, the nine thirty showing was getting ready and it looked pretty busy then as well. Um, 
doing some reading this weekend, it looks like just Thursday night alone, it pulled in almost $5 million uh, in the United States. So that it, it looked like it did pretty good in its small showing Thursday night. In the theater I was in in New Hampshire, there were maybe 100 people in the IMAX theater. It was by no means even close to half sold. Wow. That's I was very surprised by that because three years ago for Inner Darkness – in the uh, the fan sneak Thursday night premiere, mm. it was jam packed. Huh, that's interesting. No, it was there was definitely a lot more people at mine uh, than that. Interesting. That's good to know. Yeah, we're everywhere. We, we uh, as we record this, my wife and I went today at a different theater, and I'd say it was probably about three quarters of the way filled. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a good audience for matinee. I think, yeah, absolutely. I think the early estimates, I read an article this morning, which I never really understand how they can write these things. They say that the weekend gross for the movie is going to be somewhere in the $60 million range. But the article came out on Sunday morning, so I don't know how they can take into account what happens during the day today. But $60 million is still on the high end of the estimates for the weekend's pull for the movie, which I think is fantastic. I do, too. I'm going again, well, Tuesday, the day this episode drops. Nice. Three times in five days, man. That's pretty yeah. awesome. I'm I will a- be uh, seeing it for the second time next weekend, I believe. Wow. Way to go, super fan. I have to work. You know, I got to do stuff. My kid's going to college. Come on. Give me some slack. Man. <laughs> some of us don't have to work right now. <laughs> well, <laughs> I didn't mean it like that, but yeah. <laughs> well, Dan, let's talk about you know the, the basic plot, and perhaps we'll just talk each other through it. We're not going to talk about what we liked and what we didn't. Let's just sort of go through the plot as we remember it instead of doing like a, you know, a, an official okay. kind of tied up recap. I like it. Okay. So at, at the beginning of the movie, I I had no idea how it was going to start. Mm-hmm. You know, for the last couple of movies, they've actually previewed the opening scenes. You know, like in theaters months before, right. like another IMAX release. <laughs> and so when this started, I, it, it it was Kirk talking to you know aliens and what looked like a first contact situation. Yeah, it did. Yeah, um, they looked pretty menacing. Those aliens at first, as Kirk was trying to be a neutral party and and some kind of negotiation, offering them a gift. Uh, The aliens didn't like it too well, and they came down at him charging and looked like he was going to be in big trouble until you realized that they were little tiny, tiny, tiny creatures, (laughs) which which made for a quite comical opening, I thought. I thought it was was brilliant. You know, so Kirk gets out of there. He gets back to the Enterprise, and he's he's weary is the only word I can come up with. You know, they've been in space for almost a thousand days. And every day is bleeding into the next. He makes the comment that it feels episodic almost, which I thought was kind of humorous. I thought that was good, yep. And he's clearly not, you know, the the Horatio Hornblower-esque James T. Kirk that we're used to from the original series. Yeah, I the word that comes to mind um, at the beginning for me is that he was bored. Uh, I think he was thinking that... Uh, it was going to be a lot more exciting being captain of a starship and doing this five-year mission, and I don't think it was up to what his expectations were. So he was getting bored, and and I think he was thinking he made the wrong decision to become captain and and go out on the five-year mission. So then they make their way to this amazing new starbase, Starbase Yorktown, which looks like a cross between 
let me see if I, if I can get this right the first time I describe it. Sort of a Dyson sphere meets Deep Space Nine meets the staircases at Hogwarts and Harry Potter meets Inception. That is as perfect as a description as I think you can get. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about the Yorktown later on, I think. Um, but uh, one of the things that uh, I thought was amazing with this is when the ship gets to the Yorktown and goes into the Yorktown, the Enterprise is tiny compared to this place. I mean, yeah. tiny. So the size of it is just uh, it's beyond description. So, uh, so yeah, they get to the space station and they're on they're on leave, and you get to see Sulu's husband and their daughter, and it looks like Spock and Uhura break up, and McCoy's giving Spock a hard time about it. Uh, and one thing that we forgot to mention right before they get there is that it's Kirk's birthday. Uh, uh yes, I, I thought that was a good um, uh, reference point to previous movies. I thought. Yeah, and it, it, it continues the character trait of Kirk that he's just never really been big on his birthday. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I, so we're at Yorktown. Kirk is thinking maybe he's going to leave the captaincy of the Enterprise and take a vice admiral position there at Yorktown. But the Enterprise winds up going out on one additional mission when this ship comes to Yorktown with... You know, somebody who says their crew is stranded on a planet on the other side of a nebula. Yes. Um, before they go out on that uh, on that mission, or what we think might be Kirk's last as captain, um, in addition to Kirk uh, talking about uh, uh, sending in his um, resume for a vice admiral position, we find out that Spock gets some rather troubling news from a couple of Vulcans that are at the station as well. And this was the first of many emotional moments in the movie, I thought. Oh, I agree with you. We find out that Ambassador Spock or Spock Prime has died, which was really interesting when they showed the uh, the star dates, you know, sort of bookending his life. It's uh, you figure he's probably only about thirty three years old. <laughs> yeah. That's that's right. And he's more like probably two hundred and thirty three at right. this point. You got to wonder what was going through the the mind of of this universe, Spock, to get that note and to be looking at that obituary of himself, kind of when you think about it. It's his future oh, self from the other universe. I agree with that. We'll talk more about that later on, but sure. we'll we'll get through the plot for now in yep. as, as quick a fashion as we can. So they go through the nebula, which looks amazing. Mm. They get to this planet called Ultimid, and there's this ship, which turns out to be a swarm of ships that absolutely kicks the crap out of the Enterprise. What uh, The Enterprise always uh, gets the crap kicked out of it in the movies. We've talked about that before. This was beyond anything that we've seen before. This was amazing to watch. Um, it was painful to watch, and it was brilliantly done. Um, you got to see the nacelles get chopped off right at the base. Uh, you got to see the neck of the saucer section. The same thing happened. Pretty much uh, the command was to cut off the head, um, which they certainly did. And the, the crash sequence, as everybody got split up, was was it was it was beautiful quote unquote to why it was great special effects it was really really good and sad at the same time 
So then Crawl and his drones are aboard the Enterprise, and they're looking for the very same artifact that Kirk had at the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. with the the wee itty-bitty aliens. <laughs> yeah, he uh, um, is looking for it pretty uh, frantically. He thinks uh, there's a couple uh, good battle scenes with Kirk and Crawl. Uh, he Kirk does have it. He escapes. It gets away from them. A lot of confusion going on in the ship about what's going to be happening and who's where and and how many crew are accounted for. Uh, Crawl does not get the device, um, but looks like neither does Kirk. Yeah, and so then everybody winds up on the planet. The Enterprise saucer crash lands. Everybody's split up except for the majority of the crews being herded by the swarm because their escape pods have been captured by the drones as they've left the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. So, wow, I feel like I feel like that whole sequence took like a half an hour, even though it didn't. Wow, I thought it actually felt like longer than half an hour. It's amazing that it was it was only what ten minutes, fifteen minutes, maybe. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so we have a split of all the different primary characters. We have. Uh, Kirk and Chekhov are together, and we have Spock and Bones, which I thought was brilliant. Um, uh, Uhura was actually captured by Kral, so he's with her. Um, and Sulu is is one of the people that is uh, in the herd of prisoners, so to speak. Um, so there's there's different bounce backs between the different groups, uh, and then we come along with Scotty who, when he lands on the planet, and he comes across a new. Uh, alien and a new character in the Star Trek franchise, and she was awesome, and that's Jayla. Yeah, I, I really did not expect a whole lot from Jayla because I didn't want to have, you know, the the wrong idea of what her character was going to be going into it, mm-hmm. and I I thought that it added a, a a nice degree of difference in in this story. I thought it was a great female role uh, in this Star Trek film. I actually thought that she uh, was a stronger character in this one than Uhura was. Uh, And that's not to take anything away from any of the cast. Um, I just thought that uh, Jayla had um, a lot more in the storyline. And uh, and, uh, she did a great job uh, with what she was given for this film. So let's encapsulate what happens on the planet like Reader's Digest style. Okay. So they realize that, you know, the the Magnificent Seven, the main crew, have to get together. They've got to rescue everybody else. Jayla helps them. They find out that Jayla's been hiding out in an old starship in NX-326, I think it was, the USS Franklin. 326 or 325? I thought it was 326. I'll check that. Okay. And, you know, they, they've got to create a diversion and go rescue the crew and beam them aboard the Franklin and then get the Franklin into space to stop the swarm because Crawl's real plan is to attack and kill everything at Starbase Yorktown. Fair? I would say that's very fair. It's very succinct and very reader's digesty. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want the you know the plot discussion to take up an hour. You know oh, that's saying? true. That's true. Yeah, um, yeah. So 
so there we're on the planet. All these things happen on the planet, and they finally do get off the planet. The swarm is on its way towards the Yorktown, and Kirk and team are on the Franklin chasing it. Uh, there are countless swarm vehicles on the way to the Yorktown, and they really don't know what they're going to do in order to stop these things until Scotty and Jayla come up with a very interesting idea. They decide that they can disrupt the communication between the swarm ships by essentially broadcasting something really loud and boisterous over what amounts to a radio frequency. <laughs> so they broadcast sabotage by the Beastie Boys and a call back to the 2009 movie. Yep. And those ships become so disoriented that they just start blowing up. Crawl and a couple of the drones get through to Starbase Yorktown and the Enterprise is in pursuit. Spock and Bones have commandeered a swarm vessel and are you know, going after him as well. And you know, long story short, you know, the, the Franklin is able to stop Crawl and the drones by essentially, you know, popping up out of the, the river, if you will, <laughs> breaching like a whale yes. and having the ships run into the hull and stick like darts. Mm -hmm. uh, and as they are searching for Crawl, he has the biological weapon with him and they figure out that he wants to get to, I guess it's the giant filter system at the top of the Yorktown is the best way to describe it, that if he can get the, uh, the weapon there, it will disperse out to uh, the entire... Uh, space station killing everyone. So there's a great chase scene and a great fight with Kirk and Crawl in this uh, control room at the top of a building to access the, uh, I don't know if filtration system is the right word. Sure. But that's what I'll go with sure. right now. Well, before that, though, they also discover that Crawl is really yes. Captain Balthazar Edison of the USS Franklin, who should be at this point maybe 150 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, he looks certainly looks alien during the movie, but um, as he, uh, I don't know, sucks the life out of prisoners, he gets more and more human looking. So by the end of the movie, uh, with the final battles, he looks as human as he can, uh, complete with a Starfleet gold tunic, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, as he and Kirk fight um, to see if they can, uh, to see if he can get that biological weapon launched into the quote-unquote atmosphere of the space station. So, long story short, Crawl doesn't succeed. He gets sucked out into space. Spock and Bones save Kirk. Um, and Yorktown is safe. They get to the end of the movie. There's a little impromptu party for Kirk. Well, before that, Kirk decides he's going to stay on board the Enterprise as captain, and Spock decides he's going to stay. And then we discover that... There's a ship under construction as they gather, and it's the NCC-1701A. So they get a replacement Enterprise. And then uh, to end the film, um, you hear the famous speech, Space the Final Frontier speech, but it is actually mixed in with every one of the main cast voices, which I thought was pretty cool. And then it warps off to uh, to the next movie. Yeah. I um, – I I thought that was a really nice way to end the episode. I thought it was a, a nice touch. You know, everybody had a moment in the movie and then everybody got a moment to end the movie right. with the, uh, with the, the prologue speech, if you will. I like what you just said there, Bill, because we're going to get into it later on, but you said you liked how they ended the episode. 
because I think that's a very important part of what we're going to talk about later. Okay. Yeah. I have no idea what you mean, but we'll keep pressing on. That's right. So, Dan, let's talk about some things we liked about this film overall, and we'll let you go first. Sure. Um, I felt that – well, I'll go right into what I was going to say a minute ago. I felt that this was a an episode. It, it was one of – it was an original series episode to me. Right from the very beginning with a captain's log, um, Kirk talking about what's going on on the ship, I thought that it had a lot of TOS feel to it. And I think that that was done purposefully, uh, and I think that they were able to do it in a very successful way. Oh, I think so too. It, it it definitely felt more like Star Trek than the previous two movies by by a long shot. Mm-hmm. I think yep. that they did uh, that that Simon and and Doug Young did a, a phenomenal job creating a story that respected the original series, but created some new ground that was believable in the scope of those characters. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's what we've hoped, and that's what we've been hoping would be the case for a while as uh, as we get ready for the movie to come out. Um, one of the things that I liked was how in this movie slash episode, they split up everybody. And they split up people in ways that we didn't expect they would be split up. I thought that the Kirk checkoff aspect was great. So you have the captain teaching the young crew member a lot of things um, when they're together. And I really liked how they went back to the original series with the McCoy and Spock bickering aspects when it was them together. But at the same time, you saw that close, I don't know, friendship is the right word or respect maybe is a better word that they both had. I thought that those scenes between Carl Urban and Zach Quinto were Amazing. I think they were some of the best of the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, not only the the scene where, you know, you see them after they've crash landed and, and Bones is trying to, you know, essentially pull that piece of metal out of Spock and then close yeah. off the wound. But later on when they're in that shelter and, you know, Spock talks about the fact that Spock Prime has died and, mm-hmm. you know, he's thinking about leaving Starfleet to carry on his work. Just great character beats that we haven't gotten Yes. Up until now, yeah. Get your uh, get your beep ready because I thought that the horse line by Spock was an instant classic. I thought that was hysterical and totally unexpected. Uh, it's one thing for Bones to say it, even in a movie. I know we know that they they have uh, language in the movies, but when Spock said it, I thought that was just hysterical. <laughs> there were a lot of funny moments from <laughs> Spock, like there were for Leonard Nimoy in the original series. Yeah. And and they weren't over the top. No, I no, I agree. They were they were subtle, but rem- but memorable. Uh, I thought. But this one was this one was great. It's one that I I laughed out loud as did everybody in the theater. I thought it was really great. Um, other things that I liked, uh, I said it a few minutes ago. I thought the character of Jayla was fantastic. The makeup was amazing. The eyes, the the the. Um, contacts that that she wore for this part were just awesome. It, it really gave her character a lot of depth. I think I liked her dialogue and the way that she spoke, and she she pretty much kicked ass when she had to. So it was it was a great character, and I love how they left it wide open for her to be in the next one. Yeah, especially if she makes it through the academy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I have to say that. I really appreciated Chris Pine as per, as as Perk. 
as Chris Pine as Kirk more this time than I did in the other movies too, because his Kirk was more mature and Level. and decidedly more mature. Yep. I thought that it was closer to the Kirk we know, although it's never going to be that Kirk. Let's be honest. Right. But it was it was easily recognizable as James T. Kirk. Yeah. I, I thought he did a, an actually a great job, and didn't just. Um, he, he wasn't the the Trent Dilfer of the cast, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. You know, he wasn't playing not to lose; he was playing to win in this. Right. right. Yeah. Did just a fantastic job. Um. I don't think we can talk about the things that we like in this movie if we don't talk about the action sequences. We hear all the time that people are not happy with the J.J. movies because they're just basic action films and they're not true to Star Trek. I think the action sequences in this movie helped make it a Star Trek episode. The The Enterprise destruction scene was amazing. The Franklin... Uh, scenes were were great, and of course at the end with the swarm, uh, whether or not you like the idea of having the Beastie Boys be the savior of the day or not, the special effects and the action in those scenes was, I think, the best that we've seen for the three Kelvin timeline films. I think you're probably correct about that. I think, um, well, you know, when the first or the second trailer, whichever one it was, everybody, you know, whined about, um, you know, where they said it's going to be a fast and the furious in yeah, space. Let's just get this out. out of the way. Now, mm -hmm. this movie was in no mean, by no means the fast and the furious in space. I've seen the fast and furious movies. Mm -hmm. It was nothing like those. No, no. I think they just say that because of the director and, and, and they were afraid that he was going to bring that in. And that first trailer seemed to get everybody's, uh, uh, gander going or however you want to call it. I thought that, um, the action was never over the top. There were some times where it was close to being a little bit, uh, okay, let's tone it down a little bit, but nothing that I was like, okay, this is making it not, not enjoyable for me. Uh, yeah. I really thought that the um, – I just thought that the scenes with the Enterprise um, destruction were, were were just amazing. They were – I didn't – I'm always watching these movies and I'm like, okay, is this is something I'm going to see that looks too CGI-ish? The technology today, it looks like it's really happening. It, it doesn't look fake at all and, and they they hit the home run with this one. I really enjoyed it. Well, especially when you see it in like IMAX 3D. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, you know, you you and I both saw it that way on Thursday night. Yeah. And I saw it in 2D today, and it was a little underwhelming after having seen it in IMAX 3D, you know, a couple of nights ago. It's interesting that you say that because we were about midway up in our seats in IMAX, and because the screen is so huge, yeah, I did feel at times that I. That stuff was – I might have been missing something because there was stuff going on. Like you have to turn your whole head sometimes to see from corner to corner what's going on. Um, and I'm wondering if, if when I see it – when I do see it next weekend, I will see it in a non-IMAX 3D. And it will be interesting to see if I feel the same uh, about about it as what you just said a moment ago. Yeah. The, one of the things that I, I really liked – and you weren't sure how you felt about this a couple of weeks ago based on one of the trailers – I really liked the different looks, you know, or angles of the Enterprise that Justin Lin gave us in this movie. I thought they were neat. 
I thought they were creative. I think they showed a, a perspective of the enterprise that we've never seen in other movies. Mm-hmm. And I, I really appreciate how he, how, how much love he gave the treatment of those angles. Yes. Before he destroyed the ship. Yes. I, <laughs> and I'll, I will say that. What you're referencing is when they're leaving the Yorktown, the camera angle, it's like the camera guy is sitting on the deflector dish looking at the neck of the Enterprise, and you can see the engines behind it as it leaves the space station. In the second trailer, when I saw that, I didn't really like it. I thought it looked awkward, and that might be because it was only for a couple of seconds in the trailer. When I saw it in the movie the other night, it was for a lot longer shot, and to me, maybe because it was an IMAX, it was much more um, – interesting and I liked it a lot more than I did previously. Yeah, I thought I thought he did a really nice job setting up those shots. Uh, overall, I think he did an amazing job with his Star Trek film, quite honestly. I think he did and and I'm actually hopeful I know that we have no idea yet, but I would be very happy if he was the director for the next one. I I think he's gone a long way with this movie to um Silence his critics who mm-hmm. were thinking that he couldn't do anything but Fast and Furious. Yep. He proved himself, you know, not that he needed to, certainly. Let's let's state that. But he proved himself a, a tremendously talented director. And I, I thought this was a, an amazing installment in the franchise. Yeah, it was. Um, I'm going to talk about what my favorite like of this movie was. Yeah. Uh, and I think everybody is going to pick this as their favorite moment. It was an oh my god moment. I literally said that out loud in the theater when it happened. And that was towards the end of the movie when Spock was opening up Ambassador Spock's uh, belongings. And he picked up that case and opened it up. And it was a picture of the Prime Universe crew from Star Trek Five or Six. No, it was five. It was five. It was five, yeah. That was an, oh my God, nobody could have prepared me for that moment. Moment. The first time I saw it, you know, when I, he started to slide it open and I got the, the slightest hint of the monster maroon mm-hmm. uniform, I just, I immediately felt my eyes well up with tears. Absolutely. Yep, me too. Um, I thought that there could not have been a more poignant tribute to the 50th anniversary than that. I thought that was completely beautiful. And for that not to get leaked I, is a tribute to everybody working on that film because I'm glad that we didn't have any idea that was coming. Yeah. I, I loved that I was blown away by that. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a perfect note for the movie. I do too. I said to you when we were chatting after we saw the movie, I said, I think the only way that that could have been more perfect was if it was a picture of the crew from the original series and not one of the movies. And you had a very, very interesting answer to that. And my wife actually shared the exact same meaning for why it was so good to have that picture instead of TOS. Yeah, I I think it, I think it meant more that it was from the movie era of that mm-hmm. cast mm-hmm. because it showed that, you know, those relationships endured and it showed that that crew endured yep. and it showed that they made it through so much and they did it together and that right. Spock was a part of it. Yep. And that was how prime Spock lived his life. Right. And I think that, 
you know, obviously we won't know unless, you know, maybe it's in the novelization at some point, but I, I have to believe that that went into, you know, um, Kelvin Spock's calculus in deciding to stay aboard the Enterprise. Oh yes, I would be. I would be very shocked if that wasn't um, part of the reason. Uh, and it'll be good to see if it is in a novelization form. But uh, I don't doubt it for a second. I'm sure. I'm sure it was. Was that your favorite moment? Uh, hands down. Yeah, yeah. I think that's going to be one of those never forget moments in Star Trek history. I thought that 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 could not have been a better tribute, like I said, to both the 50th and to Leonard and all of the other casts that we've lost over the years. I thought it was beautiful. So let's talk about the aspects we didn't like so much. And I imagine this is going to be a much shorter conversation. Yeah, I think it'll be shorter, but um, as Trek fans, you know, we'll, we'll point out the things that we don't like. It's by no means bashing anything. It's just things that were more nitpicky to me. Yeah. I'll get to my biggest one last. I'll go to. I'll, I'll talk about my biggest concern or dislike last. But I will say that for me, I found that Zachary Quinto Spock is much more emotional than I'm used to seeing with the Spock character. It's not really a negative, but it's more of a, it just doesn't feel right to me. I understand he's much younger than the Spock we know um, and that he's half human, but he seems to be a hell of a lot more emotional than any Vulcan I've ever seen. And that's including to Paul uh, and Cybok. Um, it works in some areas, like when, uh, like in the Spock's belonging scene, when he opens that picture and when he actually sees that Prime Spock has died. But I didn't think it really worked, even though it was because he was delusional and really sick when he started laughing uncontrollably with McCoy. I just didn't know if that worked right. Oh, I disagree. I thought it worked very well. And what? And now, why? Um, for those reasons. I mean, because you know, you brought up Cybok and you brought up to Paul. Neither of them are half human. Mm -hmm. You know, this Spock was more emotional in the first two movies, but let's yep. be honest, in this one, he showed less emotion for most of the movie than he did in the other two. I, I agree with that. And let me pre and let me let me jump in and say I don't mean just this movie. I mean in all three movies we've seen a much more emotional Spock than we're used to. I mean with the death of his of his mother and the attack on Kirk right. that he had on the bridge in the first one. Those are all I, I mean those all, but I just brought out the specific examples for this movie as 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 a couple of the examples that I meant. Well, and and that was by design, and they were outward about that f since 2009, mm -hmm. because the Spock doesn't have as good a handle on his human side as Prime Spock did. Mm -hmm. So uh, I th actually thought the scene with McCoy, you know, where he, he smiled and chuckled a little bit, I thought it was incredibly disarming, and it went a long way to talking about how comfortable he felt with McCoy, even though he's essentially bleeding to death internally. Well, see, that's where I saw it a little bit differently. I saw that as he, he was having a very um, interesting and not emotional conversation, but one that, you know, he was showing sides to McCoy that he might not have shown before and it was working. But then when he started laughing, I took it as, Wow, is he so close to death that he's losing control completely of his normal holding on to his emotions? And is that something that we would want to see this character go through? I don't think he was close to death. I do think he was, you know, weary and suffering from blood loss and and the like. And you know, in those moments, perhaps his human side is going to poke through 
a little more. You know, we we never saw Spock this hurt. That's true. You know, ever. Yep. You know, yeah, he died in Star Trek Two, but you know, it was a little different. He wasn't. It was radiation poisoning. He wasn't bleeding to death internally, yep. as or or so we believe. Right. Now, again, let me say that in no way is is taking anything away from what Zachary does as Spock. He is so great at this character. Um, he does a phenomenal job. I just, I just thought that at times the emotion was a little bit to me, it was like, I don't want to say it was forced cause it, it didn't look forced, but I was, I was kind of sitting back going, huh, a little bit, a little bit more than I normally would. Okay. So I think for me, I mean, I, I can sum up my, the aspects I didn't like really in, in the same sentence. And really, for me, this is, it's really the only thing, and it is a little nitpicky, but I don't think that the script did enough to explain, uh, Crawl and the Franklin. Yep. You know, there's not enough there to, to talk about Crawl's motivation, you know, why he bothered with the life prolongation or, or why he needed to essentially, you know, suck the energy out of people and why it changed his appearance. Mm-hmm. And then, how come the Franklin was still space worthy? <laughs> yeah, you think? You know? <laughs> <laughs> How many years have been there? Let me get back to the crawl thing for you. Yeah. I'm going to say I'm going to I'm going to share with folks, uh hopefully she won't mind, but my wife loved the movie, but she had some problems with it. She's not as big a Trek fan as I am obviously or as you are, but she knows Trek and she loves it or li- likes it a lot. That was her biggest thing. Who is this guy? How, you know, what's the story behind this planet and the equipment and why he looks the way he does? How did he get that way? There wasn't enough in the movie to explain that. If there's a backstory, that's fine. But if you're trying to get a new audience to really grasp onto Trek, having those gaps in the movie, I think, hurts. They they tried to answer some of it with, you know, when they discovered who he really was. Mm-hmm. But... I still don't think you it gave enough insight as to his motivation. Right. I don't and and why does he look like a giant lizard? Well, I like have to believe I didn't because he sucked the life energy out of somebody who looked like that. Oh, so that so you're thinking that when he sucked the life out of humans, that's why he started looking human. Yeah. That's a good theory. I like that. I hadn't actually thought of that. We'll have to see what happens. I'm, I'm sure there's going to be some backstory novel or comics coming out that might explain it. Um but that was something that was that was a question mark. Um, the other thing in regards to him and the planet that was a little unrealistic to me was the swarm. It was don't get me wrong, the swarm was awesome, but it was unrealistic to me because at the end of the film, when they're heading towards the Yorktown, there had to have been billions of those little ships swarming when it was the giant tidal wave Mm. the logistics of that just don't add up to me when you take into consideration that there were probably a whole bunch of them lost on the attack of the enterprise and the time frame where are all those ships stored where you know who's manning them all is it just him controlling all of them it just was a little bit eh to me it still made for a hell of a sequence when uh when that was happening when the franklin was fighting them but that was a little bit over the top. If there was an over the top moment, it would be the number of those ships because it looked infinite. 
Uh, that's fair. I can understand that. I assume that when they sent, there were drones that for the most part, the ships were not controlled by. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I could be wrong about that, but again, we don't have that detail. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's what it comes back to the detail of, of, of it. Hopefully we'll be able to have some history uh, down the road with it, but it, it leaves question marks. And like I said, if you're a first time fan looking forward to seeing a Star Trek movie and maybe starting to like the franchise, those might be things that you walk out of the movie theater going, the movie was great, but didn't make sense because of X, Y, and Z. And those were two of those reasons. So do you have any other nitpicks? I don't know if this is a nitpick, but it was, this is probably, this might surprise and maybe upset some people. Uh, I'm going to say it right out. I did not like the Yorktown at all. I did not like it. And you said at the beginning, your description was great. When we first saw it and they were coming up to it, I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Then we saw the size of it and I'm like, Dyson Sphere. That's all I could think of was Dyson Sphere. And we know from a previous Trek Geeks podcast how much I don't like the Dyson Sphere. But I thought of it. I will say I did like the little catacombs that the Enterprise was going through and then the Franklin later. But I did not like the idea of it based on its sheer size and a couple of other reasons, which I'll, I'll, I'll break down for you. Um, they're supposed to be in the reaches of space where they never have been before. But – this thing is gigantor. So how long did it take to construct this? Who engineered it? The thing is freaking huge. How long did it take to get to where it was going to be if it wasn't built right where it was? I mean, just the, the logistics of that are kind of mind-boggling. And if it's there on the, ver on the edge of, of known space, wouldn't you think they would have explored that area before they put a gigantic space station there? Well... You don't know that they didn't. They couldn't get through the nebula because none of the ships at Yorktown could navigate it. The Enterprise had the, as Kirk said, the most advanced navigation system in the fleet. So the Enterprise could, but none of the ships that Yorktown had at that moment could. Well, that's why I would hesitate to put a, a station of that size and importance that close to an area that they couldn't penetrate. Well... Somebody had to penetrate it at some point, and they would oh. need to use that as a launching platform. Okay, I can give you that. Because the Enterprise went there on a provisioning stop. Mm -hmm. Yep. So here's the other thing, too. And I get what you're saying about what's it doing out there where they're supposed to be exploring. But all throughout the original series, the Enterprise was constantly stopping at star bases that were already out there. Yep. You know, so it's not a big deal to me that the Yorktown exists and that it's theoretically where no man has gone before because, you know, it's it, we've set that precedent 50 years ago. Let, let me put it this way then. If the Yorktown was a station that reminded us of K7, I might not have had as much of a problem with it. But the sheer size of it – and here's the other thing. The multiple angled – cities so to speak mm -hmm. in in there i just thought that was nuts uh each one had its own gravity and yet they were right next to each other i just the 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 thinking of how the uh, the how they could have the artificial gravity the certain way for just a specific angled city it just was a little bit a little bit too much for me um well we don't know who built it we don't know that it was the federation that built it they somebody else could have or several 
you know, uh, races of aliens could have built it and asked the Federation to administer it, much like Deep Space Nine. Something I haven't actually thought of either. I, I've always assumed that it was a Federation-built station. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. You know, so it, I don't have as big a problem with the Yorktown because, you know, I think if it were a dinky little star base, it wouldn't matter that much. Yeah, I, I still would have. I, maybe K seven would be too small, but I just thought that I thought this was a like an oh my god, that's that's like giant. I mean, remember the the star bases in Star Trek three or Star Trek four? Those were gigantic, but those were not unrealistic to me in terms of the Star Trek universe, sure. as this one was. Well, remember too, they said that. You know, there were people from every member world of the Federation living at Yorktown. Mm-hmm. So I think that this was meant to represent the entire Federation and be something where millions of people lived. And you wouldn't get that at your average starbase. I think that this is a stand-in for everything the Federation represents, which is why it was such a target for Crawl. Let me ask you this. Was this was the Yorktown something that has been in either a novel or something in the past? I, it seems to me that it I, – I can remember something about this giant space station that looks different. Is, am I thinking of something else? I have no idea. I thought I thought I don't I don't know if we had a discussion about about this or not. I'll have to look it up. But I thought that this was pulled from something, and it's kind of a um, uh, an an homage to a previous thing of Roddenberry's. I'll have to I'll have to dig about that. I know there were you know Federation ships named Yorktown. Oh yeah, absolutely, but yeah. not star bases per se. Okay, so all right. Well, uh, does that do it for things you didn't like? For the most part, yeah. Those are the things that I jotted down. I, um, I mean, there was so much to like. Um, I thought that uh, uh, that Ohura's character wasn't given a whole lot, which um, was was too bad. I do like how they had the whole necklace thing be the be the savior. I thought that was kind of kind of cutesy, um, but I thought that her character in the last two movies that she had some good good uh, good scenes. I just thought that, unfortunately, to me, she didn't have as strong a uh, uh, a presence as she has in the other two. Well, th- that may have been because she, when she started filming this, she had just come back from having babies. Mm-hmm. She had twins. Yep. So uh, I know that from having seen Zoe Saldana on Good Morning America this past week. Yep. So maybe that had something to do with it. But I thought that substantively they gave her a little more to do with the, you know, being the primary foil for Crawl for, you know, the right. middle section of the movie. Here's one thing that I thought of that I wanted to get your opinion on. I haven't asked you that, so it's going to be the first you've heard of it. Do you think that, and I know that he made mention of it in the film himself, do you think Kirk made a huge mistake by trusting that woman so early on the way he did? Yeah. That that was surprising to me um, because when she first came on and, and then the Universal Translator was kicking in for the first time and they were talking, I'm like, something's not right with her. And they seem to be welcoming her, welcoming her way too easy. I would have uh, – I think maybe I would have sent some recon, maybe a probe, maybe yeah. a shuttle. Yeah. 
Um, but instead, you know, well, I suppose it's in character for Kirk because he just sort of marches right in and says, all right, let's check this out. That's true. Yeah, that is true. Um, and you got to imagine the uh, level of guilt that he had because that all st- the, everything that happened in the movie stemmed from that trust of her to try to go find her quote unquote crew. Which is why I think he's so angry. Yeah, I, I thought I really thought he was going to kill her when he pulled the phaser on her. Me too. <laughs> yeah, and so, uh, I think if it wasn't for Chekhov, I think he would have. So Dan, let's let's start wrapping up our discussion, and, and we'll talk about two particular points. Not you know whether or not you know did we like it because that's fairly obvious, but let's consider that in the scope of how this reflects the original series. And, and the homage it pays it, and where does this fall in the stack ranking of all Star Trek movies? Um, I'll answer the second part of that question first, and then I'll listen to what you think about your first part before I answer mine. I think that <laughs> wait, I, hey, you don't get to create the rules. Oh, come on! Now. I get to every once in a while. <laughs> no, you know you don't. I think that this is quite possibly one of the top. Not the top, but one of the top films that Star Trek has put out. I would rank it two or three, maybe. If I, in thinking about all the different ones, I think I would put Wrath of Khan. Obviously, is is probably always going to be the number one film. I don't think there'll be anything that'll ever top that. I would put that as number. This is number two, uh, right up there with First Contact. I think is one of the top ones. And as much as people may not like to hear it, I think 2009 is one of the best ones also. I just have always enjoyed that one. Interesting. Um, so I think it's it's definitely in the top – I'll just say this as a broad number. It's definitely in the top five, and I think it may even be higher than that. Interesting. Yeah. And to go back to your first question, it reflects TOS perfectly because we always – have been asking for a TOS version of a movie and the inner conflict, the uh, just the look and feel of it being an episode, like I said, at the beginning with the captain's log and, and, and the different, the different threads of the movie that are going on. It felt like an original series episode to me. Uh, I think the turmoil, I think the, um, uh, inner conflict that many of the characters show in this film uh, reflect TOS. There wasn't anything that I could actually put a specific finger on as to how the original series took a current event and made it an episode. There was nothing in this film that I could really point to to do that, um, but it still felt like an original series episode to me. Well, and, you know, Star Trek is replete with its crazy captain storylines. <laughs> yes. You know, so I, I don't know that it necessarily needed to reflect the real world because, you know, they can always fall back on, on that type of story. And I think sure. they told that story well. Yes. Yeah, he was he was Looney Tunes. <laughs> <laughs> captain Simon Van Gelder. Um, I thought that I thought it reflected the original series really well. I think that this was truer to the TOS characters that we know while still maintaining the difference of the Kelvin timeline. Mm -hmm. And I think that it respected Star Trek. You know, uh, the complaint that a lot of the 
you know, the, the new Trek haters like to use is, well, you know, it's not Gene's vision. It's not Gene's vision. And I think that this one comes closest to actual Star Trek than the two before it. And uh, honestly, I think that's why I love this one so much. I'm, I'm, I, I gotta say, I am tired of that phrase. Me too. Was Deep Space Nine Gene's vision? Hell no, no but it's the, my favorite series. Wrath of Khan <laughs> wasn't Gene's vision. Yeah, and he was involved in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, kind of. Well, in a kind of roundabout way. <laughs> watch, watch the special edition DVD and you'll find out what we're talking about. That's right. <laughs> I, um, I, I think that it did a good job reflecting and respecting the Star Trek we've known for 50 years. And I think that that's really the ultimate compliment that this film can pay. You know, if, if I look at a stack ranking for me, and I actually wrote this out. So my stack ranking of all the Star Trek films goes like this. Uh, at number one is Wrath of Khan. At number two is The Undiscovered Country. Number three for me is Star Trek Beyond. Number four is First Contact. And then Voyage Home, uh, The Motion Picture, Star Trek 2009, Search for Spock, Insurrection, Final Frontier, Into Darkness, Nemesis, and then Generations at the bottom. That's, I like that list. I like it. That's my list. Wow. I think this is the best Star Trek movie since First Contact. And for me, and I've already caught a little bit of grief for this, for me, I think it's better than First Contact. I haven't, like I said, I haven't decided if I would put it above or beyond First Contact. First Contact was so great because it was the first Borg movie. Um, it had a lot of of stuff that we didn't expect in a Trek film. I'm not sure where I would put it if I would put it above or below it. They're both so great. I do like the fact that you put Star Trek VI in your top five. I hadn't actually thought of that one, and I also like that you put 2009 as high as you did. Um, I think that with what happened – and let me let me back up a step. I remember when we talked about In the Darkness, we both were freaking out, loving it after the first time we saw it, if I remember correctly. And it's amazing how that has changed over time for both of us. Um, I don't see that happening with this at all. At all. No, I don't either. Yeah. Um, there were so many things within a darkness um, – when we started really thinking about it, that were problematic and and weren't true to <laughs> Gene's vision. I'm just kidding. I mean, true to Star Trek. Um, but this one hit so many of them correctly um, that I don't think even after time and even after seeing it several times will take anything away from it. Uh, I'm going to have to go back and really do some deep thinking about where exactly I would rank this with all the other ones and get a definitive list instead of just, I think I would put it here, maybe above or below this one. Maybe I'll have that for us next week. I think that this film is the perfect way to celebrate Star Trek's 50th anniversary. There's oh, your, a doubt. There's your yeah. sound bite. Yep, absolutely. Well, Dan, that sort of wraps our discussion on Star Trek Beyond. And um, 
I know I'm seeing it at least a couple more times this week. (laughs) I don't think I'm going to have the time to see it this week, but I am seeing it this weekend. Maybe I'll try to squeeze it in twice. I'm not sure. I'm not as cool as you are, obviously. (laughs) If by cool you mean unemployed, then (laughs) yes, that's true. (laughs) Whatever works for me, man. (laughs) Dan, as usual, we're continuing our iTunes subscribe and review campaign. Yeah, um, we love hearing from the reviews. And we always say, we've been saying from the beginning, we want to hear from you whether you have good things to say or whether you have things that you don't like about the show and things that we can improve on. Luckily, it's been pretty much all positive, and we really appreciate it and love hearing from everyone. We want everybody to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. So if you can do that, go to uh, trekgeeks.com slash iTunes to to learn more. And if you do a review you are going to be automatically entered to win a $25 Amazon gift card or whatever that monetary value is if you do not use dollars. <laughs> <laughs> the equivalent thereof. Thank you. That's why you're better talking than I am. <laughs> that's that's so true in so many ways. <laughs> I have to tell you, I was at the movies with my friend Scott Vashon to go see Star Trek Beyond. And he kept waiting for you to mess up the word slipstream in the timeless episode to the point where I'd have to bleep it. <laughs> I got better at the end. Slipstream, slipstream. <laughs> Man, <what's your> name? <laughs> uh, still saying it wrong. I do that on purpose now. <laughs> sure you do. One thing we're not saying wrong is how much we love Five Year Mission. They are your house band for Star Trek Las Vegas and the 50th anniversary convention in Nevada one week from when this podcast drops. Are they my house band too? They are your house band and your house band and your house band. Even though I have a C and D? Even though. (laughs) Well, for now. Well, that's true. Yeah. They are awesome. We can't wait to see them live on stage all week long, jamming out. They've got new stuff that they're going to be playing for us at the convention. Um, Speaking of five-year mission, Bill. Um, well, we should tell people they should head on over to fiveyearmission.net, get all their tunes. They got a lot of them. Yes, they do. And now, speaking of five-year mission. Five-year mission. Um, I was flipping through the stations just this morning. It's amazing. It always happens with the day we podcast. Oh, we good for the podcast. This was kind of a creepy story. I was a little I was a little I felt a little icky afterwards. I mean there was Android hotties and there was a duplicate Android drummer that was beamed up to the ship. And then over there there was this giant robot lurch. What are little farks made of? And I gotta tell you, I'm pretty sure that that is a question that I do not want answered. Uh, nor do any of us. Let's just say it that way. I wanted to make sure that we were on the same page. Dan, we also have to thank Giancarlo C. He did the guitar version of the Star Trek movie theme. You heard it, you know, in the supplemental we dropped this past Friday Mm -hmm. and you hear it bookending some of our discussion today. Uh, What an amazing job. Uh, I love listening to his version of it almost as much as I love listening to the orchestral version. Yes, and I will say that, that is, this is probably the best of the three soundtracks for the Kelvin timeline I will throw out there as well. I will too. So to find out more about Giancarlo, you can visit his YouTube channel. The link is either in the show notes on the podcast or on our website on trekgeeks.com. Dan, next mm. week, 
<laughs> we will be on the ground in Vegas, but we still have an episode dropping. So why don't you tell us what we're going to be talking about? Well, you know, we're going to Vegas. It's going to be kind of cool. You know, it's right around the corner. We are psyched. Um, we may be a little delirious with that excitement, though, Bill, don't you think? Because yeah. next week we're going to be joined by Adam Drozen, and we're going to discuss Vegas. And as we are his official 36th favorite podcast, we felt that it would be a good idea to have him come on the show. And we're dropping like a rock every week. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about Adam and his fandom and uh, his love for Star Trek and uh, how we met him last year. And we're going to go through the schedule and talk about the things we're really excited for, for for this convention. So it's bound to be a great episode. So please join us next week. Of course, for more great Star Trek discussion, please check out our friends at the Tricorder Transmissions, Adam's favorite podcasts online of course at the tricorder transmissions.com and for all the latest news on everything star trek please visit our friends at treknews.net for now this has been episode 69 of the trek geeks podcast we do hope you all live long and prosper i am coconutting on it that do i have to bleep that I um I can't see you. That's uh, I can't see you, and that's not a bad thing. Wow. Hmm. Now that we, was a d- move. Well, you know, we should let the listeners know that this is the first time that we'll be recording without seeing each other's faces, and I can already tell it's going to be probably the best podcast we've ever done because I won't well, be nauseous. Well, already that's a lie because we've done it plenty of times before. Well, Why are you we, lying to the listeners? We always start a little video at, at some point. We've always had a little video of the two of us at some point. Always. Every episode. Except, except the for, ones that we've been in person. And that's except even for when we talk to guests. Yeah, but, we, <laughs> but then we turn video off. We've, we've started at least with video. You're just, you're full of lies. Uh, wow. I don't, <laughs> hey, I, I don't work at a warehouse that is a studio and a, and a, a warehouse and a studio. Maybe you should. <laughs> wow. True believer. <laughs> Hashtag. God, you know, I wish Paramount and CBS would put out the type of Star Trek we want to see finally. Uh, I know. it's the, They just don't get it. I'm, they've just been been just ignoring us for, for so many years. I'm sorry, what? Like They have, not you. Huh? Yeah. See? Okay. Huh? Yeah. You just be quiet. Thank you. Did you have a good day? Uh, sure. I went and saw Beyond again. I know you did, you jerk. <laughs> did you did did the missus like it? Yeah, she thought it was okay. She she has a hard time watching movies with very quick cuts. Oh uh, yes, 
And so there were times where this was distracting. We we saw it in regular 2D. We didn't yep. see it in IMAX or 3D or anything like that. Yeah. Makes sense. So. Well, good. How about you? How was your day? It was good. Let me ask, go back to that for just one second before we get to my day. Did you, li- you like it better the second time? Uh, equally. Nice. Good. Good. Because the emotional like- moments were still emotional. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say because... Um, I remember with the when we the first day we met and we became friends and it was pretty cool. And then the second day, I knew it was just going to be awful. What does that have to do with Star Trek Beyond? Well, the seeing it twice thing. It was good the first time. Was it still good the second time? And the answer was yes. So that's good. Oh, so that's a feeble attempt feeble. at making a joke at my expense. Very feeble. But any joke at your expense is still worth it. Wow, somebody's had a bug crawl up his ass tonight. <laughs> no, just I, I, we haven't we haven't done a podcast for a week, so I miss you, pal. That's that's how you miss me. That's how you miss me. What are you drinking? <laughs> I got my uh, I got a strawberry lemonade blueberry uh, vodka drink. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that its technical name? No, it's it's a it, the Svetka vodka is a strawberry lemonade flavor, and then I throw my blueberries and my uh, my uh, mixer in with it. It's very good. It's a very it's a summery drink. Maybe you should give it a name. I'm gonna call it the. Um, I can't call it the Warp Core Breach, can I? Ah, that's you, already taken. You could, ah. in theory. How about a a plasma conduit? Uh, the Nexus ribbon. That would be good. Nexus ribbons be nice. All right, I'll think. Of, I'll think of something. There's no coconut in it, so I can't have any fun with that. Thank God. Wow. 